But last week, we talked about Mr. Bulldozer, Elijah, the, the great man of faith, had all these things going for him, unstoppable, unmovable, unshakable, until he said in a religious service, unbeknownst to him, at Mount Carmel, when the singers started singing and the dancers started dancing and the drums started beating, he got in him. And when he got in him, he didn't know he got in him. We've been dealing with a false teaching, false prophets, false spirits. We've been dealing about leaven. It never was about the loaves and fishes, Jesus said. It was about the leaven. He said, you watch me take a little bit of something and feed thousands, but he said, it's the leaven of the Pharisees that can do the same thing, and it will poison thousands. Matthew 14, Matthew 15, and he explains this parable in Matthew 16. So for you, they're just showing up. This has nothing to do with his ability to break loaves and fishes. It, he is teaching these guys a lesson. It's not the multiplication of good things. It's the multiplication of false teachings that will destroy a generation. That's what he said. I didn't say it. He said it. And so by the time we got to Elijah, we, we left you last week, and God said he passed by, and he passed by, and we went through this, all this thing. And... Uh, we left you with this. He said, I'll no longer speak to you with thunders and lightnings and earthquakes and signs and wonders and demonstrations as I have been, but I'm going to speak to you through a still, small voice. And a still, small voice in the Hebrew is daman, where we get a word for it to communicate without even opening your mouth. So I won't be here next week. I'm going on a mission journey, but so I'm going to get some things into you this morning. This means it's for you to say, Jeremy would ask me, you know, did you have a good day today? And I would go, mm-hmm. And I would, I would communicate, and I would never open my mouth. It's a shadow of the Holy Spirit speaking to us. But I want to tell you, when I left you this way, now I'm not saying that this is the way he's going to speak. This is the way he chose to speak to Elijah because signs and wonders and miracles, of all the things he could do, watch this, but he still woke up one day spiritually operating in fear and bankruptcy. And God said, I've used you powerfully, but I'm going to have to do something now from now on that will change. I'm going to fine-tune my instrument like fine-tuning the guitar. And in this conversation, God is fine-tuning him. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27, in the King James says, or the New King James, my sheep hear my voice. All right? In the King James, some of you are still addicted to that. He said, my sheep know my voice. So you're saying, uh-huh, two different words. Once again... Don't say that. The word voice is where we get a word for it, like spell, like phone, but it's called phone, like phone, like phone, like sounds. The definition for voice means this, a sound, vibrations, or tones. My sheep, can we all bat together? My sheep not only hear my voice, but they know my voice. Now, for you goats, this doesn't mean anything to you. But to the sheep of God, it means this. It means that he doesn't have to refer to language. One of the weird things about this is, you know what I don't understand about Spanish? All of it. And we'll go to these places down in, in, in Honduras or where we're at, and, and, and these people will be calling these dogs in Spanish. I don't understand how dogs know Spanish, but on the other I don't know how they know English. So what Jesus said, my sheep, is not, is not limited to the language of the English, to the Spanish, to the German. 
you're, you're, you're getting this mixed up. He said, my sheep will not only hear my voice, they will know my voice. So this is the definition. You got a truck driver's here? To know something is where we get a word for NOSCO, but it means to have such knowledge of it that I don't have to, like truckers, I used to drive a truck, so these guys are truckers. So when you first start out driving a truck, you got all these lights and gauges and a tachometer. But once you start driving a truck for a while, you don't even need a tachometer. You don't even, you don't even look at the speedometer. What I'm telling you is this, because you are so familiar with driving that machine, you don't need lights, gauges. You go by vibrations and sounds and tones of that motor, when to shift, when to downshift, when to double clutch it, or as Virgil, when to grind it until it goes. <laughs> to be so familiar, I mean, to be so familiar with it that mechanics, and, and Virgil's a good example of a mechanic, you hear an engine running, and, 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 you, and, 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 and he'll listen to that thing, and he'll say, now something's not right. Well, it sounds good to me. Well, it's not right. Well, how do you know that? You don't even have a gauge hooked up to it. I can hear something. Do you feel that? I don't feel nothing. Do you feel that? I don't feel anything. I do. We've got something off. Pay attention. Jesus said, my sheep are so in tune with tones and sounds and vibrations, they sense when something is right or they can sense when something is wrong. You don't have to have scripture and verse to remind you every time. Now, we should always back it up with scripture and verse. But he said, my sheep will reach a point in time in their life where they'll know it's truth. And you ought to be able to walk in here, and even though you may not understand me, but you'll know truth lives and abides in this place. You'll know that. You may not understand what I just said. Then you go home and look it up, and you'll say, that makes a lot of sense. He said, my sheep know my voice. Is he talking about Greek, Latin? What is he talking about? None of it. He's talking about tones. Vibrations. Have you ever got any idea how we... What's this? But this is a guitar tuner. You know how this works? It picks up vibrations. God is fine-tuning Elijah. Oh, I know you think... I mean, we're all instruments of God, but I'll tell you, we all need a little fine-tuning. I know you're perfect, but here's the bad news. You're not. And I know you think you're really something, but we're going to have a baptism in a few months, and we encourage you to come out there and see if you can walk on water. Until then, God is still fine-tuning you. And the way he does this is this, with this little device. This thing picks up when it's off just a little bit, vibrations and tones and sounds. And the Holy Spirit of God, my sheep know my voice. Listen, you can forget what anybody else is telling you. Open your ears to the spiritual realm of God, and he'll, and he'll tweak you to what is in tune to him. Is where we get a word for, he said, if, if any two shall agree, Matthew 16, it means this, sumphanero, to get in tune, to get in agreement. So, he's, so here's the deal. He's telling the same thing Elijah's telling us. It's just the same thing. He said, no longer English language. And yea, I say unto thee, thou shalt arise and go to the city called Ardmore, and there you'll find a street called Forth. On Forth, you'll find a great building. Upon the great building, turns out. He doesn't really do that anymore. People do it, but God is not limited by that. He said, you'll know me through sounds and vibrations and tones. You'll sense it. He'll wake you up in the middle of the night, and you may not know what he's trying to say, but he's doing something in you. Truth reverberates. 
So this morning, I want to go to somewhere about Mark chapter 4, back in the boat business. And he said, this is a different occasion, but he said, there arose a great storm of wind, and the, winds, the waves began to beat the ship, so now that it was full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. The hinder part means he's supposed to be driving. That's where the rudder was. But anyway, and they woke him up and he said, Master, you don't even care that we die. Boy, how many times we've ever said that? You don't care. God, you don't care. So anyway, so Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and said unto them, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Some of you know this, but I, I want to, for you that are new, and we have some new ones, and the rest of you that were sound asleep when I told this a few years ago, let me explain what this means. There are about three words in the Hebrew for, in the Greek for rebuke and one in the Hebrew. But this word rebuke is uh, epitomahi, and it means this. It means, to, it means to, to censor. Okay? So when I, when I say that, in the Old Testament, Malachi 3, he said, I will rebuke the devourer. That means that he'll, he'll, he'll put a stop to it and he'll do some things. But this... This word epitomahi means this. So Jesus is in the boat. It's about to sink, and the disciples are saying the same thing. You don't care if we live or die, and we're not going to make it. It's all over. And then Jesus, they wake him up out of a good nap, and he looks around, and, and I mean, they are frailing, and they're operating in fear, and they said, it's over. We're all going to die. Who let you drive the boat? Why did you bring us here? It's a long story. And Jesus stands up, and the Bible says he rebukes the wind. Now, you get this idea, Jeremiah, because you're new. But you get this idea that he stands on the bow of the boat and he said, I rebuke you in the name of the Father. That is incorrect. Amen. Anybody ever tell you that, they're wrong. They taught biblical principles wrong. That's not what this word means. Ebitomahi means this. It means to censor or it means to silence through seizure. Now that's a, that, that's a word that the Romans used. It means to silence through a seizure as a matter of fact, the true meaning means to humiliate in public. So I'll say this shortly, and I'll, I'll say this quickly, because I want you to get this correctly, and I want you new people to understand what this means. This is not him standing on the bow of the boat and said, Abracadabra, I command that. He doesn't do that. He rises up, and he rebukes the wind. To humiliate in public, it means this, that there was a, if we had a, 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 the FBI of the Roman army was looking for one guy, kind of looked like Mike Boy's twin brother. He was an outlaw. He was ruthless. He, he, was, he was a murderer. He was a killer. He was all these things. And just to mention his name, people were terrified. He, he, he had a reputation that, that, that when they found out that he was on the loose, you made sure your house was locked up. You made sure you knew where your wife and children were because you found out that he was somewhere in your, in your, in your neighborhood. And we're going to call him El Michael. Well, that's his name. And I, I mean, he, was, he, was, he would terrify individuals because he was ruthless and he had a game. One day the Roman Empire caught hold of him and they bound him. And the Romans would do this. They would take him to the public square and they would tie him up, hands and feet, in kind of an express situation and they would humiliate him in public. The guy that had a reputation of cutting your throat and never thinking twice, now then, is shackled hand and feet can't move, and he's gagged, can't say anything, can't do anything, and the, and the Romans allowed the public, general public, to walk by him and look at him and say, well, you ain't that bad. Well, you ain't that tough anymore. Matter of fact, you're not nothing. We were afraid of you. We were terrified of you. 
I, I spent sleepless nights in fear over you, and now then I watched you. You're seized by the Roman Empire. You're gagged. You're silenced. And matter of fact, I'll let my three-year-old son go in front of you because you ain't nothing. And what the word epitome means this. It means they humiliated this vicious criminal in open public. That's all it means. The idea of this is this. When the storm was overtaking everybody in the boat, Jesus rebuked the wind. Burl, but this is what he did. He just stood up and did nothing. He didn't do anything. He didn't fast. He didn't pray. He didn't call upon his father. He just stood there. And by just standing there, he humiliated the winds. By just standing there, he said to the winds, by his actions, you don't bother me. You're nothing. Matter of fact, we get this word in the English now, is to take the wind out of somebody's sail. So Jesus stands up on the bow of the ship, and he just looks at the wind. I mean, it's just going crazy. And he's just standing there like, no big deal. And then after a while, by standing there, he just says, just knock it off, and the water's become a glass. And these men at that moment said, even the winds are subject to him. Watch this. While we go through storms, I know what you've been taught to do, and I'm going to do my very best to get your little jello brain set good. You're taught to fast and pray and run around the building and cut yourself and give. Listen, would you just stop that nonsense? One of the greatest things you can do when we go through storms, and we will go through storms, and some of us are in storms right now, is to stand up and absolutely do nothing. Nothing. And by doing nothing, you're humiliating your enemy. And even demons are looking at the devil and said, hey, boss, how come that guy ain't budging? How come everybody in the church is, is signing their last will and testimony? How come everybody else in the church is running? But that guy in the back, he's not doing anything. And the answer is because he's humiliating you. So the acronym of fear is, watch this, forgetting everything about righteousness. When you forget everything about righteousness, the acronym of fear is this, that you just go crazy. And Elijah went crazy. He forgot everything about righteousness, or it means dokasune, right mindness, right standing with God, right position with God. And when you forget who you are in Christ, you're liable to do anything and say anything. So Jesus just stands at the ship, and he looks around, and he's basically humiliating the wind. And the demons are telling Satan, He's not afraid of you. He's not even budging. Jesus humiliated the wind in public. One of the greatest things that I want to teach you before I leave this earth is this. It's not the matter of fact that you will go through storms. You will go through storms. We're going to lose loved ones. We're going to lose friends. We're going to lose a lot of things. But listen, would you just stand firm in the foundation upon Christ? and not be moved, just stand firm. Just stand still. And by standing still and not panicking and not, you know, somebody said, well, I want God to bless me. Well, God would, but it's hard to hit a moving target. Would you get still somewhere? 
and by standing still, you're humiliating your enemy. Now, that's very important. So I can show you the opposite of that, that you'll understand that just a little bit better. Mark chapter 5, verses 13 and 15. So now then, that he reaches the place of Gadara where he was headed, and Jesus, he gave them leave, and an unclean spirit went out. So this guy meets the man of Gadara. This is on the way where he humiliated the wind. So they go to Gadara where the, the demonic man was, the man of Gadara. He had, he had a legion of demons in him, about five or 6,000 demons in him. And so Jesus casting them out, and watch this. And so now then, Jesus gave the, the, the commandments of the demons to leave, and the unclean spirits went out, and they entered into the swan, and, and the herd of the swan ran violently, or violently down a steep place in the sea, and there were about 2,000. They were all choked to sea. So Jesus, when he steals the storm, he makes his way to the bank of Gadara. There he meets this demonic man, and we're not going to go into detail, but he said, what's your name? My name is Legion. It means five to 6,000 demons. And, he, and says, Jesus says, come out of it. And when the demons come out, they said this, don't send us to our place of torment yet. Send us somewhere else. So he said, okay, I'll send you to the swan. So they go to the swan, and the swan takes off and runs off the cliff. You see the word violently? It's a Greek word for hormones, where we get a word for hormones. So here, watch this. I'm trying to teach you something. Jesus is still. Demons have hormones. You come here and you've been a part of a church that absolutely can't control their emotions. And you think God is connected to emotion, but if you'll stay here at least three weeks, this, this is kind of like a, like a, a center, not like an A center, but I'm, I'm, this is like I'm trying to get these things out of you. I'm trying to tell you there's nothing wrong with emotion, but I'll tell you, the word of God is not bound by emotions. The word of God is truth. And Jesus stands still, and, and by standing still, the winds obey. But now then, these demons come out of the swine, and immediately, it doesn't say the swine just sat there with their little legs crossed going, oink, oink. Immediately, they ran violently, and they destroyed the, 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 the swine. If you can't find yourself, not because he's getting up, but if you can't find yourself sitting still, you have to ask yourself what's going on and what's operating in my life. Do I've got to run from there to there? Do I have to have that emotion? Do I got to have that? Do I need that? Do I miss that? And somebody asked me, why you took out the altars? It's a reason, because you made fun of it. People, it's a mockery. They don't, they're not dying at the altar. They're just coming down there, shedding a few tears, and off they go, fully alive, full of gossip, full of hate, full of poison. So God told me a long time ago, take them out. An altar is a place of death. Wow. So I'm just trying to keep you from committing sins that is almost too deep for you to get out. So, so this is the idea. When, when, when the demons hit the pigs, guess what happened? Off they went riding, running violently, hormones, out of control. And I want you to know, for you that are raised in Pentecostal church, somebody said, well, I can't control the spirit. You just lied and you, you don't know what you just said. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Don't tell me you can't control it because that's not even biblical. So Jesus was still, and the demons were overactive. Still today. Watch this. Proverbs chapter 28 says this. The wicked are edgy with guilt, ready to run off even when no one's after them. 
But honest people are relaxed and confident, and they're bold as lines. See? Remember in Matthew chapter number 4, Jesus goes on the wilderness of temptation? Remember that? Just say yes. So Satan comes attempting three times, correct? Jesus was hungry, and first thing he says, he said, if you're the Son of God, well, he knows he's the Son of God, my goodness. But he said, after 40 days, even not Jesus even doubted, but he said, if you are the Son of God, make these stones turn to bread. Then he says a verse later, he said, if you are the Son of God, he took him to the pinnacle of the temple. He said, just jump. The angels have charge over you. It was a misquoted scripture, but it doesn't matter. Psalms 91. And then he gets to the end of this thing. He said, if you are the Son of God, just bow down. Proskuneo means bow down and kiss my feet. Fall down and worship. Watch this. Everything that Satan spoke to Jesus, he wanted him to do something. Please punch your neighbor and say, would you please wake up? Everything that Satan suggested, he wanted Jesus to do something. If you are the Son of God, cast stones in the bread. If you are the Son of God, jump in God will catch you no matter what you do. That's not true. If you are the Son of God, fall down and worship me. Everything that demons do, they, they are so entangled with doing something. You got to do, you got to do, you got to do. And what's this the deal? If, if, if you want to get to heaven, you got to do that. And you got to stack your hair up, and you got to get the makeup off, you got to lengthen the dress, and you got to shorten the dress, you got to cut your hair, and all that stuff. False religion tells you if you want to be like God, you got to do something. Listen, that is all false religion. There's only one way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. And the rest of that stuff, you can just take it somewhere else and recycle it because it's not going to work here. Now, after salvation, there's sanctification, there's things that we're going to fine tune you. But brother, make no mistake about it. Demons is the one that wants to get you to exercise to do something. And if you're real, the son of God, you need to do this and you do that. And for goodness sake, don't do that and that, this. And that is all will get you sidetracked. Ungodly people, Proverbs says, always run when no one chases them. But they're righteous. They're relaxed. They're not arrogant. They're just confident because my confidence is in God. Amen. Bold as lying. So this morning, it's very important for you to understand I'm not against emotions. I'm not against people praising worship. I'm not against, I'm just asking you not to have a restless spirit. My soul can find no rest until I find rest in you, O Lord. And truth will draw, like I told you last week, as the moth is drawn to the flame of the candle, so Lord. I'm drawn to you by your goodness. Truth will draw you in. Truth should draw you to the Father. Isaiah chapter 52. For you shall not go out with haste, nor by flight, but the Lord God will go before you. Two words. He said when you go out, you're not going to go out with haste. It's a Hebrew word that means run like a fugitive. You're not on the run. You're not on the run anymore. You don't have to be on the run anymore. Number two, the word flight is where we get the English word for flighty. It means delusional. It means to take a mental vacation instead of being aware of reality. Imaginary mental vacations. The idea is this. The people of God, we don't have to live our lives on the run. We don't have to be like a fugitive on the run. And number two, we don't have to live our life on 
delusional vacations. We can face reality, we can face today, and we know that God's grace is greater than our situation. You don't have to pretend like it's not happening because it is happening. And unfortunately, I wish that we could pretend today that something's not going to happen tomorrow, but it's going to happen tomorrow. But I will tell you, dear sister, God will give you the grace that you need to, for whatever your situation is, and you know that. So you don't have to live your life on the run. You don't have to be a fugitive, always look in the rearview mirror. And number two, you don't have to just live and make believe. And just all you want to talk about is the sweet by and by and all. And that's a wonderful thing. But listen, the sweet by and by isn't for the future. We still have stuff today. So let's deal with it. What do you got problems with? Let's see if we can help you. Let's see if we can face this thing. Shoving it to the side, it's not going to heal anything. Time heals nothing. Time just makes it worse. Leaving a sticker in a wound doesn't heal anything. It gives it the opportunity to fester. So I've learned through the years, being a teacher of the principles of God's Word, that I don't have to live my life like I'm constantly guilty, and I don't have to live in a make-believe fairyland place. God is my source, Jesus is my strength, and he'll give me grace for, for today. And for you that don't agree with that and you're bored, you have no idea what may be what you're about to face. So we're not guilty. We're not the fugitive God, Philip. We're the friend of God. So lastly this morning, Genesis chapter 49, verse 14. Here's a guy named Issachar. He's one of Jacob's sons. He's a strong ass couching down between two burdens. Okay. Jacob is dying. He calls all of his sons in on the deathbed. He lays hand on all of his sons, and he gives them prophecies. And this is the prophecy that he gave Issachar. He said, you're going to be a strong ass couching down between two burdens. It means this. Three things. You're going, to be, you're going to be responsible. You're going to be reliable. And of all your brothers, you're going to be dependable. First Chronicles tells us that about Issachar, that he was a man that knew what Israel ought to do. He was very wise. So this morning, that the reason why I'm, I'm going to get to here is because this. Because Issachar was not born with a spiritual silver spoon in his mouth. His end, he was responsible. His end, he was very reliable. And at the end of his life, he was very dependable. At the end of his life, he taught his sons and his grandsons how to be wise to the things of God. And they had a reputation of being the leaders of Israel through wisdom. But that's not how his life started. So some of you know this and some of you don't, but I'm going to give you a small Bible lesson on Issachar. In Genesis chapter 30, that there's three players that's involved. Number one, Jacob. And Jacob is a man that lived his whole life on the run. His boys sung the old song, Papa was a rolling stone, basically. Jacob's whole life was on the run. As you know this, that he, he met a man that, named Laban. He had two daughters. He loved Rachel. Rachel's name means beautiful you or lovely lamb. He wanted her. So he worked seven years for Laban, and he got tricked. And he got her sister. And her sister's name was Leah, and her name means milk cow. Old Bessie. Now, you, you can't make this up. I mean, I don't make this up. 
I do this for a living. It's my job. So he looks at Rachel and he said, I love you. You're, you're. And he worked for seven years until one night. And I, and I still, when we get to heaven, I still like to know how he got them girls mixed up. But besides that, <laughs> he didn't go in the tent with Rachel. He left. He got the old milk cow. The score was four to nothing. Leah, Rachel couldn't have nothing. So now then, he has to work another seven years to get Rachel. So he works 14 years to get the woman he loves. And so what happens now is, is Leah's having kids right and left. Rachel, not a. Matter of fact, she even has a, a hand servant to have a couple for her. So she gets to Joseph and Benjamin. So now then what happens is this, that there is great stress between the families. A lot of heartaches. You, you, you don't read stuff like this, but you remember when, when Abraham <clears throat> picks up that little handmaiden, Hagar, not like the soup factory, but Hagar that made, at that time, watch this. Bro, this is good information. Sarah, his wife, was 81. Hagar was 18. Sarah wore a moo to Walmart. Hagar wore a bikini. And I don't mean that to be bad. I just mean when you understand what's going on here, we have one that's absolutely beautiful and that's desired of, and then you have the second one that nobody wants. I don't know if you've had or had, ever had a sibling or a brother or a sister or somebody that was handsome and talented and gifted and was the all-star and the captain of the football field, and then you had one that absolutely was worthless for nothing. Because of that, there's, there's some divisions between the siblings. That's all I'm trying to tell you. So now then, that Reuben, which is Leah's firstborn, is out at gathering wheat, and he comes across some mandrakes. And mandrakes, by definition, it was called the apple of Eden. We're not going to get into that. It was said to, to be a, a love potion, a love apple. Some translations puts it the love apple. And so... So because Rachel couldn't have any kids, she saw these mandrakes. She goes, where did you get them? And Reuben said, well, I found them over there in the neighbor's pasture. It said no trespassing, but I couldn't read, so I went over anyway. And she said, I want them. And Leah said, oh, no, you don't. No, tonight you're not with Jacob. She said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll trade you a mandrake so I can spend the night with Jacob. It's your night. I don't know how that works. But it's your night. But I'll trade you a mandrake. I'll sleep with him tonight. She said, deal. So Rachel takes the mandrake. It was her night to be with Jacob that night. Takes the mandrake for trade. She gives that night to Leah. And that night, Leah conceives again, and the son Issachar is conceived. And when he is born, his name is called Wage. Reward. Now watch this. Hang on, hang on. It means the product of being pimped out. I bet you thought you would never hear that in a church. And I know some of you right now, you're going through your Bible like, pimped. Where is pimped out in the Bible? <clears throat> so let's just be honest. Issachar, his conception came about, his mother pimped him out. That's what he was. He was pimped out. He, a product was, was exchanged. 
So you can call it reward, that sounds good, and you can call it wage, and it sounds good, but the truth of the matter is this. Something happened so another someone could have to spend the night with Jacob so he could be born. The moral of this story this morning, ladies and gentlemen, you can leave that up there if you want to. The moral of this story is not necessarily how he got here. The moral of the story is what did he do with his life once he got here? My friend, it's not how we began this thing, it's how we end it. Issachar's life, by the way he entered to this world, was not the smartest thing that Jacob could have done. But instead of being stuck on how he got here, let's focus on what he accomplished when he got here. So here we go, watch this. The question is this. How did you get to CCF this morning? Don't answer. This is a class discussion. How many walked to CCF? Just raise your hand. You walked here. You walked here. Anybody? Anybody walk here? Oh, we don't care. How many rode a skateboard? We don't care. How many rode a bicycle? We don't care. How many hitchhiked? You caught a ride with someone. Anybody? Anybody rode with someone here? You didn't drive yourself? We don't care. How many drove a car here? We don't care. How many drove a pickup here? Who cares? How many drove a motorcycle? Well, Chuck, nobody cares. How many rode a witch's broom? Now, we may care about that one. Don't you understand? We don't care how you got here. Whether you was conceived in the backseat of a 59 Chevy or the Ritz Hotel in New York, we don't care. You see, we look down and people say, oh, well, we know about your history, how you got here. Listen, God's not interested in how you got here. God's interested in what you're doing now you're here. We don't care how you got here. We're just glad you're here. And my focus this morning is not to examine how you got here. My, my focus this morning is not to examine the way you got here. We don't care if you was hired out, rewarded out, pimped out. I don't really care how you got here. I am just so glad you're here. And because you're here, you can help change our world. This is what I'll tell you in closing. Issachar could have been like his old man. And he could have lived his life on the run. And he could have said, I am the illegitimate son. Boy, if you just knew how I got here, I'm embarrassed. I don't want to talk about it. It's a disgrace. And I'm just going to run, run, run. I'm going to be like demons driving swine. I'm going to run, 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 run. But he said, I choose not to. I, I want to be the man that knows what Israel ought to do. I want to be the heritage of a man that has the wisdom of God that can help men and women grow up to know who God really is. That's the man I want to be. I don't care how I got here. I want to make a difference while I'm here.
That should be your desire. I don't care if you know what day you were born on. Who cares? I don't care if you didn't wear a wristwatch when you come out of your mother's womb to know exactly what time it is. Nobody cares. But while you're here, how about letting God change you so you can change your world? Can we do that? So this is where we end it. Jesus just stood still. And the wind was humiliated. Issachar just stood still. And he allowed God to be glorified in his life. I know you got some stuff going on. I know you do. I'm very familiar with tones, sounds, and vibrations when I get around you. I'm a genius at it. I may not talk to you about it, but I'm a genius at it. I understand the sounds of God, the tones of God, the vibrations of God. When you shake hands, you hug my neck. I understand what's going on. Oh, you're looking at me telling me it's fine, and it's not fine, but it's okay. It's all right. But where you're at right at this moment, we may not control how you got here at this moment, but can we come to some agreement? that we can change what you do from this moment forward. That's what I'm after in your life. Father, this morning that we find ourselves on a day-to-day basis, we're in storms and we're in water over our head. And we may not say it in public, but we say it a lot. Do you not even care? If you cared, you wouldn't allow this to come my way. But I pray this morning that the Spirit of God, your word says in Psalms 46 and verse 10, that if you'll just stand still, you'll know that I'm God. Would you teach us to follow the patterns of Christ? Just rebuke the winds by just standing still. You will fight my battle. I don't have a bucket big enough to bail out an ocean full of water in my life. Teach me just to stand still. Stand firm. Unmovable and unshakable. By the things that I cannot change. My trust is in you. And Father, in that process, whether it be one hour, one day, one week, one month, the winds will be humiliated. Our enemy will say something behind our back that these people are not even afraid of you anymore. You throw all this garbage at them and they're not even budging. They used to budge and they used to run even when you wasn't chasing them, Satan. But now they're not even budging. We put more hardship and more hardship and more hardship and they're not even moving anymore. Why? You're being humiliated. Father, let that be said of us this morning. Let the spirit of Israel be in us. That we don't focus how we got here, 
we don't focus the means and the vehicle how we got to planet Earth. I know people want to judge and they want to be critical, but forget that. Father, we're not interested in how these lives got here. We're just so thankful that they're here this morning. Change us so we can change our world. So this morning, Calvary Christian Fellowship, for every heart that's weary and every heart that's tired and every heart that's struggling, we're struggling over grandchildren and children and jobs and finances and all these things. Just stand still. And if you'll just stand still and be quiet for the first time in a long time or for the first time, you'll begin to sense tones and vibrations and sounds and it's God Father heal us be glorified in us as we manifest your name in all the earth in Jesus name and all the people of God say amen if you believe that this morning give the Lord a praise offering would you please huh? <clears throat> Stand with me this morning, turn about two people and say, you know, I don't care how you got here. I'm just glad you're here this morning. Communion servers, please come this morning. All three times Satan told Jesus, you have to do something. And Jesus said, I don't have to do anything. My Father's Word says, and that's all I have to say. Your enemy is going to tell you this morning, looking down the gum barrel of your situation, you said, you better do something. And this is what I'm telling you. You don't have to respond to him. I don't have to do anything. All I've got to do is just say, his grace is sufficient for my needs. I am more than a conqueror through Christ who loved me. Greater is he that's in me than he's trying to come against me. That's all you got to do. And by quoting the word of God, watch this, God will fight your every battle. That night Jesus sat with his disciples and he took the bread and the cup and he said, for 1,500 years you've been celebrating the the sacraments of the unleavened bread. The bread without leaven. But Jesus said, now I am the bread of life that my Father has set down upon the earth. And if any man eateth this bread, which is my life, you will never hunger again. And then he took the cup and he said, for 1,500 years, beginning with the first Passover Moses, do you been celebrating the Lamb's blood? that they would take the lamb's blood and they would apply it upon the doorpost in the shape of a cross. But Jesus said, Now I am the Lamb of God which take away the sins of the world and my blood will be taken and placed in the shape of a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And every time you take the bread and every time you drink of the cup, it will remind you of me. Father, right now, at this moment, we need to be reminded of the love of Christ.
So we celebrate the bread and the cup. Remind us of not only where we came from, but where we're going. In Jesus' name, amen.